Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning I want to share with you along the lines of the fall, the wall, and the call. The fall, the wall, and the call. I could have titled it, um, I Have Fallen and I Can't Get Out. <laughs> but I thought the fall, the wall, and the call might be a little bit more appropriate. And so let's look in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. You might think that's a strange title for a Christmas message. Well, I think you'll catch it. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. A father called a meeting for his children, his family. They got together and they were talking about celebrating Christmas. And he kind of concluded the meeting by saying that we'd like to have this to be the best Christmas that we've ever celebrated. And so he asked some of them for their input or suggestions as to how they can make it the most special Christmas of all. As they all basically gave a little bit of what they thought, the youngest one who was a second grader, what's that about seven years old, something like that? Second grader said, Dad, I don't know how we can improve on the first Christmas. Think about that. How can we improve on the first Christmas when the first Christmas, a teenager, a virgin teenager, gave birth to the Son of God, and then the angel of the Lord appeared to shepherds watching their flocks by night, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Imagine it. And then said to all the shepherds and whoever would listen, I'm bringing you glad tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then suddenly a heavenly host, which we just read, appeared out of nowhere and they broke out in song. And they sang, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And what about the star that guided the wise men to the birthplace of our Lord, where they offered him worship and gifts, gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, and myrrh for his burial. They presented these things to him, acknowledging that he is the Messiah. Lest we forget 
by the host of angels saying that he's Christ the Lord, they were actually saying, he's your Messiah. And they still missed it. But you can't improve on that. As a matter of fact, no matter what we do to celebrate Christmas or to make our celebration of Christmas or our service when it comes to Christmas more special, anything we do pales in comparison to what took place on the night when this virgin teenager gave birth to the Son of God. That's why every time we say, what can we do to make it more special? What can we do to celebrate it in a better way? You just can't improve on it. It's an impossible thing to do. And besides, look what it's become. It is so commercialized right now that look, we can say Happy Hanukkah, but you can't say Merry Christmas. Isn't that sad? Yes. What's the holiday? It's Christmas. Right? We celebrate the birth of our Lord, the incarnation, the most wonderful thing ever to take place when God made a decision to leave his glory behind, his, this glory world behind, and robe himself in flesh, become a man in the hypostatic union of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus humanity, Christ divinity or deity, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, either way, humanity and deity united together as one. How can you improve on that? To celebrate it without understanding its meaning, without having faith in what it's all about, is basically meaningless. And that's what happened in the world. What are they celebrating? A holiday. What are we celebrating? The incarnation of the Son of God. Well, to help us better understand what it's all about, Psalms 40, look at verses 1, 2, and 3. We're going to go here, we're going to talk about three things. First of all, man is hopeless and helpless without God. Two, only God can help man. And number three, true joy is found in salvation. So let's read it. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. First of all, man is hopeless without God. When David wrote this, basically you could say prophetically, he's talking about the condition of mankind when Christ was born into the world. The fall. It's like a man that fell into a pit or fell into a cistern. The pit would be a pit similar to what uh, Joseph's brothers threw him into when they didn't know what to do with him. So while they were contemplating what to do with him, they placed him where? In a pit. And finally decided that they would pull him out of the pit and sell him into slavery. So we see a pit, but also there's a cistern. A cistern was a place where they stored water in the times of drought. They couldn't have enough water, so they would store them in what is called a cistern. This thing could be 30 feet deep. And so what David is talking about, the condition of man is as one who fell into a pit with no way of escape. It's impossible to get out of that pit on your own. Absolutely, positively impossible to get out. Well, after Adam ate us out of house and home, you recall that, he threw mankind into a pit of spiritual death. 
and sin. Incapable of getting out on his own. No possibility of getting out on his own. Man was in a hopeless situation as the man in the pit in the miry clay. He was in a helpless situation because there was no means by which he could possibly get out in that pit or miry, miry clay. And you see, because it was a cistern in some places, they used them as cisterns where they had all this water where they stored. Remember, 30 feet down, that's a lot of water that was, was, was stored there in that cistern. Over time, they would leak. And when the water would leak out, there would just be this like, like a swamp-like at the bottom of it. Now, accidentally, you can fall into it. Why? Because the opening sometimes is camouflaged by debris and that sort of thing over a period of time. So if someone happened to fall in, you're stuck. You're stuck in the mud. That's it. You can't get out. Which brings us to the walls. Another reason why you can't get out, the opening is small and the walls are inverted. Now, unless you're Spider-Man, you can't get out. You'd have to somehow upside down stick to the walls. Or you could be Superman and leap a tall building at a single bound. But that's 30 feet up there and it's a small opening. You better be accurate or you'll knock yourself out. So it was impossible for them, for anyone, to get out of this pit. You know, life sometimes presents to us many pits that people can fall into with inverted walls that make it impossible to get out. Some fall into the pit of addiction. Some fall into the pit of anger, fear, immorality. Some, without a doubt, are caught in the rat race of life. And as a result, they're spinning their wheels in this place called a pit with no direction. No understanding as to what their life is all about. Up in the morning, go to bed at night, work all day long, etc., etc. And so this routine of life becomes to them their pit. The miry clay that they're stuck in and have no idea what life is all about. Then you got those that are uh, full of anxiety. There are those that are homeless. There's, there are those that are in the pit of poverty. And I mean, the list goes on and on, but there's no worse pit to be stuck in than the pit of spiritual death sin and separation from God. All these others are temporal, but that is eternal. And so if a person is unable to get out of that pit of spiritual death and darkness, he's eternally lost without hope and without God in the world and will be ushered into an eternity separated from God of torment and torture. Think about that throughout eternity. Not a good place to be in. Well, that brings us to the call. You see, when it comes to the call, because someone fell into the pit, that's the fall, and the walls are there, they're walled in, they can't get out, it's 30 feet down, it's impossible. When they're not home that evening, a search party goes out. They're sent out to go and call out the name of the person that fell into the pit. Whatever that name may be. See, they understood these things and they knew what could have happened. And so they're crying out and they're calling out and calling out and calling out and they're waiting for a response. They're listening for a response. If they could hear even a faint sound and they can get closer and closer to the person that fell, then they can rescue the person and pull them out of the pit. 
Because remember, Joseph was going to be left in that pit until he died. But then he decided we shouldn't do that to him. So they pulled him out. Why? So they could sell him into slavery. You know the story about Joseph. But someone who has fallen into that pit, which we all have in Adam, of spiritual separation from God, has no means by which to get out. And they need someone to call out to them. And then they respond to the call. Crying out like David said, help me. Pull me out. Get me out of this pit that I'm in. Well, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, look at what these verses say. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The time had come. In Genesis 3, verse 15, the first prophecy of the Messiah was given. A woman is going to give birth. The seed of the woman would destroy the works of darkness. But 4,000 years later, we see in the fullness of time, when the time had come, God sent forth. It's a Greek term for commissioning someone to go and do something. Sending someone off into war or commissioning someone to go and do something. In other words, to head up a search party. Jesus was sent by the Father to come to the earth to call out to those that are lost, to those that are in this cistern or this pit, sometimes used as a prison or a jail. In Luke's Gospel, we see this in chapter 19 and verse 10. Why was he sent by the Father? See, we can't see behind the curtain that separates us from spiritual things. We can't see behind, unless God opens up our eyes, we can't see behind that. But can you imagine what was taking place right before the birth of the Son of God? Can you imagine the anticipation that was taking place among all the angelic beings who we don't know what their duty is, we don't know what they do up there, but can you imagine if you would have been a part of the posse that was going to be sent to the earth, this host, this heavenly host, that would announce the birth of the Savior of the world. Can you imagine the anticipation when it's getting closer and closer and closer, and then finally the Father looks over to Jesus, the second person of deity, and says, the time has come. There she is. She's about 15 years old. Her name is Mary. She has faithfully served me. She's been walking with me. Are you ready, son? He's up there in glory. She's down here on earth. Gabriel appears to her and says to her, you're going to conceive in your womb the Son of God. Are you want it? You ready for it? She goes, be it unto me, according to your word. And up there in glory, Jesus is time. And Jesus says, Father, you wouldn't have a sacrifice of animals to do this. I know you need some better blood than that. I'm willing to go. I'm ready to go. I'll go. And a hypostatic union takes place. He is sent forth to the earth. For what reason? Verse 19. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Like the man that's in the pit. In the cistern, they're lost. No way of escape, no way out. He has come to seek and save anyone and everyone who is lost. Look at Luke 5. I, am, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He came to call. There's your call. To call out to anyone that will listen. Anyone that would hear his voice. He came to seek and save the lost, he came to call out their name. I'll tell you what. I got saved in 1976, but it took a year to get me there. 
People were coming to me and telling me, you've got to be born again. You must be born again. I didn't know where they were coming from. I thought they were Jesus freaks. I thought they were absolutely out of their minds. You know the story back then, how people were. And you know how you were before you got saved. But you know what? I'm so glad he didn't stop calling out my name. Are you glad he didn't stop calling out your name? He kept sending somebody to call out my name, to let me know you've got to be born again to make it into eternal glory. And finally, I got to the place that I saw it. My eyes were open. I was blind, but now I see. I see the need. And I called out. Guess what? He called out to me so I could call out to him. Here I am. Here I am. I need rescued. Aren't you glad that he came and called out the sinners? Not the self-righteous who think they're okay, but anyone who would humble themselves and say, I'm in need of a Savior. So he called out to them. And what about the wall? Did he deal with that? Well, since you asked, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, what does it tell us? Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And the earth did quake, the rocks rent, the graves were opened, many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared unto many. Jesus dealt with the inverted walls that separate God from man. When that veil of the temple was written, trained from top to bottom and just ripped apart, you know what it meant? The place where man was banished from in the very beginning when Adam rebelled against God, is now open to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, thanks be unto God for what Jesus did to bring down the middle wall of partition, the wall that separates God from man, because there is no possibility of man and God being reunited apart from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You see, only He would house the perfect blood that could redeem mankind from his fallen state. And aren't you glad he came and did what he did to separate, once again, the wheat from the chaff. Whoever would accept him, gets saved. Whoever doesn't, they're not saved. But that's up to them, not to him. He made the provision for it. So, in uh, Romans chapter, 13, or chapter 10, verse 13, here it is. What more could he do? He was sent by the Father, commissioned to come to the earth, to robe himself in flesh, to take upon himself humanity, to go to a cross where he would suffer and die and pay the penalty for man's high treason. And then he calls out by his Spirit to those who will listen because the Holy Ghost is upon us to convict us of sin, righteousness and judgment of sin. Because they don't believe on him. Righteousness has been made available because of what he's done. And judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. And who wants to be judged with him? And so he keeps, call, he keeps calling out our names. And guess what? Whosoever. Are you a whosoever this morning? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, rescued, delivered, set free from the miry clay, from the pit of spiritual death and separation from God. But you know what? They had to call out. It wasn't automatic. You see, if, if the search party went out to search for you and you're in the bottom of that pit in the miry clay and you can't get out and they're calling your name and calling your name and calling your name but you never respond, you'll be there until you die. 
But you've got to cry out. You've got to call out. And what did David say? He cried out, and the Lord heard my voice. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Point two, only God can help man. Only God can help man. You cannot help yourself. You cannot get out. You cannot be saved. You cannot free yourself from spiritual death and separation from God. That is an impossibility. Religion can't help you get out. Good works can't help us get out. There's nothing we can do at all in this realm in which we live to get us out of that pit of miry clay. It's impossible. But God made provision. Only God can help man. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and look what it says in verse 15. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice. Do you hear him calling? If you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Why? Is it a provocation? Because if you don't respond, he can't rescue. It's impossible. If you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I remember telling this to someone years ago that he needed saved. And I believe he was this close to accepting Christ as Savior and Lord of his life. But you know what? There was another voice that came along and told him, don't listen to that guy. Speaking of me, don't listen to him. You're okay. Just be good. Do good enough and you'll make heaven. I was so excited that he was going to come to Christ. But I saw him the next day and he said, forget about all that. Forget about it. I'm okay. I can take care of myself. Nobody can take care of themselves. Nobody can pull themselves up out of the pit. It's impossible. But they listen to the wrong voice. There's a voice in the earth today. God is speaking to hearts today. Like never before, I believe. Letting people know that, hey, the times, we know the times are unprecedented that we're living in right now. We understand that. But you know what? There's a louder voice. There's a greater voice that tells us, greater is he who is in us than he that is in this world. And no matter what we face in this life, praise God, we serve a mighty God. And all we've got to do is call upon him. He'll answer us and show us great and mighty things. Someone says, I want him to show me great and mighty things. But you've got to call upon him in order for him to do that. Because you see, that's his phone number. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call upon me and I will answer you. That's his cell phone number. In Psalms 40, in verse 1, here's David speaking of himself. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Did he hear his cry? Yes, he did hear his cry. Why do I know, and how do I know? Well, we know he heard his cry because look at Isaiah 59, 1 through 4. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice. He heard him because he was calling for justice nor, and he pleaded for truth. He heard him because he was pleading for truth. Well, they were trusting in vanity and speak lies and conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. David came to the place that he realized and recognized, I want justice. I want truth. I want God's word to prevail in my life. 
And the same thing is true with us. If we call out, we hear his voice and we call out to him, he'll show us great and mighty things that we don't know about. But we've got to cry out and we've got to call for truth, for righteousness, for justice. I'll tell you what, there's a voice in the earth today. There's a voice in our nation today. The people of God are not sitting back and watching corruption take place in our government. Finally, the church is standing up. Finally, the church is rising up. Finally, the church is saying, enough is enough. You want to hear a voice? There's a voice louder than the media. Praise God. There's a voice that comes from the very throne of God that he himself is saying, call upon me. I will answer you. Get on your face. Get on your knees. Humble yourself and pray and seek my face. Turn from your ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin and I will heal your land. That voice is being heard right now on high as the people of God are saying enough is enough. It's enough. It is time to side with God. Amen. How do I side with God? Look at the platform. God believes in life, not death. He believes in morality and not immorality. He believes in righteousness, not unrighteousness. He believes in truth and not lies. Beloved, it's time that we as the believer take a strong stand against all the opposition that's out there and not sit back and let them just run all over us any longer. Can you say amen? Amen. So if we call upon him because we heard his voice and we cry out to him, he will hear because we're looking for justice and truth. Thirdly, he lifts us up. Hmm. Take something more than Spider-Man or Superman. Only he can uproot us from the mud and the miry clay of spiritual death and sin. Only he can do that. There's nothing no one, no force, no power that could possibly lift us up out of the miry clay. So let's read Psalms 40 and verse 2. This is the first part, part A. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. What did Jesus come to do? Why was he born as a, a human? Why did he walk upon the earth as he did to bring us up out of the miry clay for four thousand years man was bound by death and the law of sin and death was in operation and basically unhindered until the law came and etc but jesus said the fullness of time has come and he's here and he came to lift us up out of the miry clay once and for all and you know what look at james chapter 4 and verse 10 because this is the only way we could be lifted up whether it's to get saved or even up out of the pit of despair, anxiety, worry, fear, immorality, homelessness, poverty, the list goes on and on. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Not in the sight of people, but in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself. Get before God in a quiet place. Oh Lord, I humble myself before you. I'm just laying it all out here before you. Without you, I am nothing. Without you, I have nothing. Without you, I can do nothing. You know, with a snap of your fingers, I can lose even my, my thought, my mind, and be like Nebuchadnezzar was, groveling around in the, in, the, in the darkness, in the wilderness, like an animal. Just like that. The, the wisest man can lose his intelligence just like that. 
but I humble myself before you. I call out unto you. You can help me, no matter what it might be. But once again, nothing is more important than being lifted up out of the miry clay of spiritual death and darkness. It does take humility on the part of the individual. So no matter what it is that we need to be lifted up out of, you say, well, man can help. Well, man can help out in those other areas, possibly. But no man can pull you out of the grips of spiritual death and separation from God. Other than the man, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the only one that can do that for us. So he calls out. He hears his cry. He lifts him up. And then he sets his feet on a rock. Solid ground. Oh, thank God. Would you rather walk in, let's say, a swampland or solid ground? I like solid ground under my feet. What about you? In other words, I'm going to set you on a rock and give you a foundation for your life. And so if you'll call upon me, I will lift you up. Every single one of us at one point in our lives were basically founded upon the kingdom of darkness and its foundation. Every one of us was rooted and grounded in spiritual death. Jesus came to deliver us from the powers of darkness. To uproot us from that position and translate us into the kingdom of the Son of God. And every single one of us who has called upon the name of the Lord has experienced him lifting us up out of the miry clay. Putting our feet on solid ground. Setting a course for our lives, praise God, that will enable us to do his will. And that's the last thing here. We see, looking back in, in uh, Psalms chapter 40, A, B, and C. He brought me up out of the horrible pit, the miry clay, that's A. He set me on a rock, that's B, and established my goings. He set a new course for my life. I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, I went from living a life that basically pleased myself to saying I am completely sold out to God to live for Him, to serve Him, and to walk with Him. I have completely given myself over to you. I became someone I didn't even know who I was. I was completely changed from the inside out. I would put on a television uh, program. It was a religious one. I would hear someone say, praise the Lord. It might have been the 700 Club or the PTL Club or whatever it was. And whenever I saw praise the Lord or heard praise the Lord on TV, I thought, oh my goodness, who are these people? Turn the thing off and go right on by. For a long period of time. When I got, when I, also when I was in church, I couldn't stand to be in church. I couldn't stand a 45 minute period of time to be in church. If it was 50 minutes, I wanted to pull my hair out. I couldn't wait to get out. I'm sorry to say it that way, but it was just so absolutely boring and meaningless. I didn't even understand what was being said because it was, it wasn't tongues, it was Latin. And I'm like, what in the world are they talking about? And yet all you would do is just sit there and sit there and listen to whatever you don't know. Boring. I couldn't wait to get out. 45 minutes. 45 minutes is nothing to be in the presence of the Lord. When I got saved, oh, you talk about establishing a new way for me to live. I found a new way of living. I found a new life divine. 
I'm in the vine. Praise God. I'm walking with God. I'm serving God. I'm absolutely so thrilled and excited about what took place in my life. It's changed my entire course. Why did Jesus come? To call out to the lost. Why did he come? To listen for someone to call upon his name. So he could save them and bring them up out of the miry clay. Why did he come? To bring us up out of darkness into the light of his kingdom. So we can live for him and walk with him and serve him with our lives. Oh beloved, there's nothing more important than serving the one who saved you. You realize that? There are those that, that have such honor and respect for people that spare their lives that they commit themselves to them for the rest of their lives because I owe my life to you. Really. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I could take this all the way back to my childhood. My brother saved my life one time. I was a little ornery. A little. And uh, it was Pemberton Pool. It was in Youngstown, Ohio. It was Shady Run Road. We'd ride our bikes there. And I was young. I just happened to go in the deep end of the water, of the pool, and I didn't know how to swim. <clears throat> my brother saw me in my awful condition. He was a little taller than I am. Thank God. And put me up under his, on his shoulders. I was on his shoulders, my head above the water. He was under the water. He walked me over to the lower end of the pool. And then when he threw me off, he was gasping for air himself. I'll never forget that. Sometimes those little things happen and you, you just can't forget anything like that. You know, he saved my life. I could have drowned right there. I don't know. I mean, maybe someone else could have helped me out. But the point was, he was willing to sacrifice himself for me. Oh, beloved, what Jesus did for every single one of us commands our obedience to serve him, to live for him, to honor him, to do everything we can to advance his kingdom here upon this earth. Because without him, we'd be stuck on earth in a miry clay with inverted walls and an opening where we can't get out. But if we died in that condition, we spent an eternity in a lake of fire, never, ever to be released from it ever again. Can you imagine that? That's hard to fathom, isn't it? But aren't you glad that he came and did what he did? Let's conclude with joy is only found in salvation. Look at verse 3. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Do you know that your joy is contagious? When people see you light up because of the joy of the Lord that's in your life, it's contagious. That's part of the call that we have. When people see us excited about the things of God, rejoicing with joy unspeakable that's full of glory, they want what we have. Why? Because the world is in a state of chaos right now. They can understand the attitude that a believer has. We've got to let them know, praise God, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. We're the redeemed of the Lord, and we say that He is good, and His mercies endure forever. We say the joy of the Lord is our strength. Look at Psalm 126, the first three verses here. First few verses, one, two, three. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. 
Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Can somebody say amen? He came to do great things for every single one of us. Things we could never do for ourselves. It's impossible for a man to save himself. Beloved, when Jesus came into my heart, it was a new birth. It was a born again experience. It produced a joy unspeakable so full of the glory of Almighty God that I just wanted to shout it from the mountaintops. Go tell it on the mountain and let people know. I started to do that and you know I did it improperly. I had joy unspeakable, full of glory. I had zeal, but no knowledge. I, rather than just talking about the goodness of God, I would just walk up to people and say, you know you're going to hell? That doesn't go over too well. Did you know that? Don't witness that way. No, do you know God is good? Really? Yeah, God is really good. But look at the time we're living in. I, but God's good. He's not responsible for that. He came to give life and that more abundantly. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Not me telling somebody they're going to hell. I learned in a quick hurry to stop that. And I did. But thanks be to God. Salvation produces a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. And it's contagious as we communicate it to other people. It should be a joy to come to church and celebrate the love of God with others of like precious faith, right? So, let's, in conclusion, just say it this way. All humanity was stuck in a miry clay of sin and spiritual death with no way of escape behind walls that were inverted. No means by which to help themselves to get out of that condition. In the fullness of time, when the time finally came, after 4,000 years of man's fall, God sent His Son into the earth, into the world, to robe himself in flesh, to do for man what man could not do. It required a virgin birth because the blood in the child is not of the father, I'm sorry, of the mother, but it's of the father. You see, Joseph didn't father Jesus. God the Father fathered Jesus. Everybody else's blood is tainted with sin because of the fall of man. And through procreation, every single one of us falls into the same pit of despair and destruction. But praise God, when Jesus was, was conceived in the womb of Mary, fathered by the Father Himself, He housed the only blood, which is the right blood type for all mankind. I understand that if you have, uh, what is it, O-positive blood, and you're dealing with COVID, that it's a lot better because you've got O-positive blood. It has a lot to do with the blood. Others that maybe were having worse symptoms and all that didn't have that type of blood. It doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter what your gender is, what your race is, etc., etc. We all have blood that came from Adam. We've been made by one pool of blood, all humanity. One pool of blood, that's it. Well, beloved, you're saved by one fountain of blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. His blood is the right blood type to take the most vile sinner and bring him up out of the miry clay and give him a brand new heart and a brand new life and a spring in his step and a joy unspeakable full of glory and sets him on a course or a path for his life that leads to eternal glory. This is what it's all about. The incarnation, the God-man, Jesus. And guess what? 
They don't want you to say Merry Christmas. They want you to say Happy Holiday. Well, when they say that to me, I say, well, what's the holiday? What's the holiday? Oh, it's Christmas. Well, then Merry Christmas. Right? Isn't that the holiday? It's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Praise God. Are you glad that He came? Are you glad that He suffered? Are you glad that He died? Are you glad that He rose again? Are you glad that when He was raised from the dead, that you were raised with Him out of the miry clay and put on solid ground on a rock to stay where you have a new course for your life that includes all the wealth of heaven. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together.